what goes up must come down. Welcome to the Brand Breakdown. I'm Michelle. And I'm Courtney. And this is where we're going to track the rise and fall of big brands, from companies to celebs to pop culture phenoms and everything in between. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Well, welcome back. Today, we're going to be talking a little bit more about Megan and Harry's brand. Uh, We're going to pick up where we left off last time, which was the South Africa interview, which was kind of a bombshell. I have with me our resident royal watcher, Courtney, and she's going to break it down for us. Hey. Um, So, yeah, at this point of... Megan and Harry's relationship. We are just to do a very, very quick recap. They are married. They now have a son, Archie, who was born May 6th, 2019. And so now we're in October 2019. So Archie's about six months old and he joins them on this tour of South Africa. They've already done one very successful tour of Oceania where they visited Australia, New Zealand, and Fiji. And that tour was a huge success. It was exactly a year before this South Africa tour and the world just went wild for it. Um, When they came back from that tour and even, you know, during the wedding planning process and right up through the wedding, there was some behind-the-scenes drama that, as the public, we didn't really know about at that time. We had started to hear some little whispers and inklings of drama behind the scenes between family. There were these rumors that William and Harry were not getting along. And in March 2019, so just before Archie was born, William and Harry split their offices. So Kensington Palace is now strictly representing William and Catherine and Megan and Harry have split their office. They've hired their own team. Their office is technically at Buckingham Palace. um, So any communications come from Buckingham Palace on their end. And they have hired their own team because there was turmoil behind the scenes at KP. So they go on this South Africa tour. And again, this is a, on the face of it, it is a huge success. People are loving it. There are huge crowds everywhere to see them. The press is eating it up. And by all accounts, it appears to be very successful. However, something really interesting happens during this tour. And that is that during the tour, in addition to the Royal Rota press team who's accompanying them, and we've got reporters and we've got photographers that they are very familiar with. Again, the Royal Rota follows them wherever they go. They're, esen- they're essentially the White House press corps equivalent in the UK, where it's the same pool of folks all the time. So the royals are very familiar with these people. They've got friendly relationships with them. You know, they're not best friends. They're not hanging out on social occasions necessarily. But Harry's known some of these people for a decade or more. There are some photographers in the pool who have known William and Harry since they were children. Um, literally, some of them photographed Diana and William on the hospital steps. So this is a group of people that they're familiar with. And there's also Diana and William or Diana and Charles or Diana Uh, and Charles and William. I meant like Diana and William when she was like holding William when he was born. Oh, like little baby William. Yeah. 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 Like that very first photo of Diana leaving the hospital. Some of these photographers were there. Um, So these are people who have known the Royal family, you know, again, not socially they're not hanging out as like buddies but professionally they've been let's call it colleagues for a very long time um and so the other thing that's happening on the south africa tour and that's all very normal that the royal road is there but the interesting thing that happened is that there's also a news crew there slash documentary team because they're making 
a production of the South Africa tour and they're going to be filming kind of a little bit of behind the scenes stuff, which isn't really usual for a royal tour. This was something that we hadn't really seen before. And to be honest, since it happened, I've never I've never really looked into like why this happened. What was the catalyst? Because we'd never seen a tour become a documentary necessarily. And I imagine that this was a move that some networks had been wanting for a long time, right? They know it would be big bucks to get behind the scenes stuff. And this might be something that Harry and Meghan in their new vision for what they thought the royal family should be and what they thought their roles should be, they really pushed to allow this to happen. So the um, reporter who was doing the documentary was Tom Bradby, who he has had a longstanding relationship with both William and Harry. He actually does kind of a little bit flow into that role of being personal friends with the brothers as opposed to just a reporter. Um, He, you know, they've known each other for a very long time outside of him being a reporter. And so Meghan and Harry select Tom to be the person who is doing this documentary. And this documentary is the first time that we get very clear confirmation from a royal themselves that there is a big problem. The rumors about William and Harry fighting, the rumors about Meghan and Catherine fighting, and that there is, you know, rampant unhappiness behind the scenes had kind of been confirmed when KP split. But it was very easy from my perspective. And I had been, you know, again, I was a huge Meghan and Harry fan at this time. I was like, of course their office is splitting. William is about to become the Prince of Wales. The Queen is getting much older at this point. So there's going to be this natural divergence of the two brothers where William's going to start focusing more on becoming king. Harry's going to start focusing more on his role supporting his brother. And of course their offices have to split at some point. And why not have it be now? So that at the time was my justification as a royal watcher of all the rumors and stuff like that. And I, you know, I would discuss this with some of my fellow royal watching friends and they would say, no, 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 there's huge problems. The brothers are hating each other. And I would be like, no, absolutely not. There is nothing here. This is just a mountain out of a molehill. And then during this interview, the first thing that happens, the first clip we get is Tom Bradby is asking Harry, you know, like, oh, how are things with you and your brother or something to that effect? Like there have been rumors about you and your brother fighting. And Harry says, you know, I love my brother. I'll always be there for him. But we're definitely on different paths right now. Which Which was huge. Right. It was very – it was a very – it was a very kind of canned response, right? Harry is used to talking to the press. He's used to saying a lot and not saying anything at all because some people took that statement as, oh my gosh, they hate each other. Me, still being in denial at this point, I was like, no, that's what I've been saying. Of course they're on different paths. See, he says he still loves his brother. This doesn't mean anything. Um, But folks who were a little bit more critical of the pair and since Megan had come on the scene, a lot of people had become a lot more critical of them. Um, people were like, no, that is, that's proof. So that was the first clip of the interview that we got. And then we get the second clip of the interview, which is Tom asking Megan, how are you doing? And Megan says, you know, looking as if she's about to burst into tears <laughs> and just be sobbing on the kitchen floor <laughs> as she does. Oh, um, wow. 
She says, thank you so much for asking me. Nobody ever asks how I'm doing. Um, Or maybe it was like, nobody ever asks if I'm okay or something like that. And then she goes on to say, the point of this all is that we're supposed to be thriving, not just surviving. And that was when it was like, okay, there's a problem here because Megan has very clearly said, you know, Harry kind of danced around it. Harry gave the proper response, you know, of like, oh, all's good. It's just a blip type of response. But Megan practically comes out and says, there's a really big problem here and I'm not happy and we need to, you know, start paying attention to this, which of course sends the internet and the media aflame, sets it aflame. <laughs> well, you know the saying, right? If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, so, that's probably happening here. Yeah, for sure. And so this is our first kind of very, you know, more public than the KP split. Again, the KP split could be written off as, of course, their offices are splitting. They have different roles. As the queen gets older, you know, at the time, the queen still had a couple years left, but she was not a spring chicken. She was in her late 90s. Like, she could have passed at any moment. And so it's like, of course, their offices are going to split. And even at this time, from my perspective personally as like a royal watcher, I was still like, you know what this says to me? Megan, Megan is like, this is a cry for help. Megan's just had a baby. She's on this tour. She's got all of this press attention on her. And like, perhaps she's going through something postpartum. You know, we know how Catherine feels about people talking about her hormones. She doesn't like that. But to me, as somebody who I had also, like I was a young... I like to think I'm still a young mom, but at that time, you know, I was a young mom too. I was pregnant with my second child at this time. So I'm sitting here thinking, wow, this is somebody who is having a really hard time in the postpartum period. I can't imagine going through that period with the amount of pressure she has. She needs help. Like this is, this is a cry for help. She needs, you know, she needs to really take a step back and she deserves some rest and she deserves to be able to regroup, not be trotted out on tour with a six month old baby. That was my perspective of it at the time. But then things started happening fast and furious with the problems with the brothers, with the problems between Megan and Catherine, with the rumors spilling out. Because Megan's statement to the press was like opening the floodgates. And now the press is like, okay, we can start talking about what we've been hearing. Um, And for their part at this time, Megan and Harry – that was a very calculated move on their part because they're going like they were they were dipping their toe into the waters of the idea of like we want to see how people feel if we start trashing the family a little bit in my opinion that's what was happening they were trying to like they were seeding the, the field exactly they're trying to put the idea in people's heads of like we are so unhappy we might not stick around um and which, P.S., like, you knew what you were getting into, or at least Harry did. Mm-hmm. And if Megan didn't, then she doesn't ask the world for help. She asks the palace for help. She asks right. Harry for help. And, the and you know, the thrive, I want to thrive, not survive thing. Like, hey, mm-hmm. I get it. We all want to thrive. But a couple of things on that. A, when you're postpartum, <laughs> nobody's thriving. You need all <laughs> this, like, seriously, you need all the support you can get. I remember my mom and my husband sitting me down after my son was born and being like, hey, dude, you're angry. Like, you need to, 
<laughs> you mm-hmm. can deal with that. And it was the first time that I was like, oh man, I am angry. Why am I so angry? And I, you know, I realized like, oh, I, I have postpartum. I have two children under four. Like it's, you know, it's a lot and I'm not talking to anybody. I'm just stuffing it all in and not having conversations, but I wouldn't mm-hmm. have had a conversation with the internet. I'd have a conversation right. with a therapist or a psychiatrist or a trusted friend or something like that. You know, I wouldn't, I, I just don't know that I would put it out there into the, into the world because that that can lead to other things, which obviously it did, right? right. Like it obviously yeah. did. It for so, sure anyway. did. Um, and it's interesting. So around this time, as a royal watcher, again, like my first my first reactions here were: there's nothing here. Harry's statement is a mountain out of a molehill, and Meghan's statement is a cry for help. Like this is a woman who needs rest. She needs to take a step back from her duties and take a break. Um, this was her first kind of thing back after her maternity leave. Um, In the UK, just as a point of reference, in the UK, women are granted a full year's maternity leave after they have a child. Megan took about six months, which in the United States is unheard of, right? Like a six-month maternity leave. How fortunate some of us would be to get that. Um, It would be amazing. It would be phenomenal. Um, But other royal women have taken longer maternity leaves than that. Uh, Catherine usually takes around like I think she takes closer to like eight months and Megan took about six. So, you know, looking at this is like, actually Megan, it's, that wasn't even six months. May to October is five months. Um, yeah, five months. So it's kind of like, okay, did she jump back in too soon? Because again, this isn't a maternity leave from a desk job. This is a maternity leave from being a hundred percent on your game, a hundred percent of your time of the time, because there is a camera in your face and there are millions of people watching you. So this is, this is very high pressure and I'm sitting there going, she needs a break. She needs to step back. Like this was too soon. This was not the thing for her to do five months after having her first child. Um, but then I started to really I started thinking about it more because part of what they did on this tour and part of all royal tours is to highlight charities that they support, to highlight tourism relationships in their country that they're visiting. Um, Royal tours are requested by the government of the country that they visit. Um, So the royals don't just say like, oh, hey, we're going to like go head out to here. These are diplomatic tours. These are funded by the UK government and by the government of the country that they're visiting. There are months and months and months and years of planning that go into these. Every single event that they attend, every single place that they visit is very carefully researched and coordinated and choreographed. And there were a few blips on this tour that were quite surprising. One of them being that Megan visited, she was supposed to visit a market, an outdoor market, And she was there for about five minutes and abruptly left. And at the time, it was stated that she was leaving because there were too many people and it just wasn't secure. However, later it came out that part of the reason she left is because there was a banner there for an organization that she used to work with that would not give her a more prominent global role. And she, I guess she had stipulated that she did not want to see their materials anywhere. And so when she got there and she saw that banner, she left. Um, On this tour, we hear that she has thrown a fit one day and she threw a cup of tea at somebody. Um, We hear from the reporters that on the plane 
you know, usually on the plane, the press corps sit in the back, the royals sit up front, and then the royals will go back. They'll chat with the reporters. They'll thank them for coming. They'll just be very kind and gracious. And the Royal Rota has always said, like, on most of these tours, they have a great time with the royals. Again, they're not socializing, but they're in close quarters for a while. Um, And on this tour, we hear from the reporters that Harry came back and was like, thanks for coming, not that we wanted you here anyway. Or thanks for coming, not that you were invited or something like that, which was just like they were just there doing their job, right? Like whether or not Harry personally invited. It's so rude because, yeah, like these people are just doing their job. It's not like it wasn't something to have been invited on or, or like for Harry and Meghan to have their opinion of wanting the people there didn't matter because this was not a private vacation. This was work. This is a work event. This is a business trip for all involved, for the reporters and for the royals. And so Harry goes into the back of the plane. And for her part, the reporters did say, like, Megan was very gracious and kind. But Harry came back scowling and was like, thanks for coming. Not that you were invited or whatever. We also see during this tour that and Harry. He like, isn't he like 33 at this time or 35? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's like I, mid-30s. Like, or yeah, I mean, he's dude, not like, like he's not a teenager. Up. Yeah. <laughs> it's just. It's not a good look. And not only that, right? Like, not only he's an adult who knows better. He's been on these tours. He's been doing these tours for years. And he's been doing them solo. He did a tour of the Caribbean a couple years before during the Queen's Platinum Jubilee that was wildly successful. You may remember he took an HIV test with Brianna um, because they were trying to, you know, spread awareness for HIV prevention. And so he does these tours and people love it and he is people say like you know he's the one of the royal family's secret weapons like if there's a country that's a little bit unpleased with things in the commonwealth or whatever being a member of the commonwealth you send prince harry there and all your problems are wiped away because they the people adore him so he's been going on these tours he knows the drill and then he starts this is where we start seeing harry's personality shift where he's gone from being this like happy guy who you know, seems fun loving to he's just always kind of miserable. Like he just seems like I never see a picture of him smiling anymore. Even when, you know, he's left the royal family, it's him and Megan doing whatever. He just always looks unhappy. Um, And on this tour, Harry makes a big mistake because he is walking out of an engagement. They're walking back to their car and he's walking by the press and you know as the press do as he's walking out people are asking they're asking him questions you know what did you think of this what did you think of that this was not a scheduled Q&A at the time and so as he's walking out Rhiannon Mills from Sky News who is a royal reporter she's been with the Rota for years she asks Harry on camera Um, that was a short conversation. What did you hope to achieve through it? And Harry snaps back at her and he says, what? Ask them. And he says, and Rhiannon says to him, is that why it's important for you to come and talk to them? And Harry looks at her and says, Rhiannon, don't behave like this. So where he could have, A, not said anything if he didn't feel like, you know, engaging in the conversation because it wasn't a scheduled Q&A, or he, B, could have given a pleasant response. And response. Instead, he opts to, on camera, snap at a member of the Royal Rota, which is not, I mean, it's not appropriate regardless of what your job is, right? You don't treat people like that. Um, and she wasn't asking him anything necessarily inappropriate. Yeah, yeah, she didn't, you know, she wasn't saying 
that he had done a poor job. She's just, she's doing her job. She is asking questions. Um, and so this was quite shocking because this is not how a member of the royal family behaves with the press. Again, they have their unspoken agreement and the Rhoda is with them on this tour because the royals need this positive press attention to continue to make an influence in the world. Without the positive press attention, the role of the royals becomes increasingly less important. <laughs> um, they need the positive publicity. And so snapping at a reporter on camera is just not cool. Um, so then a few hours later, interestingly, like literally later that same day, Harry issues a statement calling out the press for their treatment of Meghan, um, who is at the time, Meghan is also involved in a lawsuit against the Daily Mail for the letter is this from that she the had letter? written. Yes, this yeah. is the, the lawsuit from the letter. So Harry issues a statement later that day, and he basically is saying that the press is going after his wife. Um, it's been so painful. He says, I see what happens when someone I love is commoditized to the point that they are no longer treated or seen as a real person. I lost my mother and now I watch my wife falling victim to, victim to the same powerful forces. So it's a very dramatic statement. And he is calling out the press and saying, like, you're, you killed my mother and now you're trying to kill my wife is essentially the message of his statement. Um, and the press loses it. <laughs> like, well, so wait, it opens the floodgates. Let's pause right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's pause right there because we have not addressed the letter. We've never talked about the letter. Mm -hmm. um, so let's have sure. like two minutes on the letter. And have you read the letter? Um, I have read the parts of it that were published. Yeah. Um, so, okay. okay. So in 2019, Megan, Megan and her father at this point are going back and forth in the press, essentially. Or rather, her father is <laughs> speaking to the press a lot, basically begging his daughter and her husband to speak with him. He's now had a grandson that he's never met, and he has had multiple health issues at this point. He had the heart attack before the wedding. I think he's had another one since then um, at this point in, like, 2019. And he just wants – to speak to his daughter and meet his grandchild. And again, you know, Harry and Meghan, for their part, they're feeling very betrayed and hurt. And every time he speaks to the press, that feeling of betrayal and hurt is like further embedded in their psyche because they don't see it as like he is begging them to talk to him. They see it as like, oh my gosh, stop doing the one thing we're asking you not to do. <laughs> so like – I can see their perspective as well. They keep telling him, stop talking to the press, and he won't stop. But the reason he won't stop is because they won't talk to him personally. So they're in this, like, vicious cycle. And Which, P.S., he should have stopped. Like, he should have just – he should not have been talking openly about that. He just shouldn't have. I mean – I think that, you know, if you read or you watch any of Thomas's interviews, I honestly – I honestly think like, yeah, you know, he knew that they didn't want him going to the press, but he's never saying anything that is controversial or out of bounds or even really private. He's just always saying like, I have apologized to them a million times. I just want the opportunity to speak to them. Literally, like he's never really out there 
like blowing up their spot in any way other to, other than to say like they still will not talk to me and I just want to meet my grandson. I just want to see my daughter. And it's yeah, just sad. That. It's really it. sad. It is sad. The whole it is the whole thing is sad and I'm I'm with you 100%. But if my dad <clears throat> who has long since passed away my real dad uh, but if he came back suddenly and was like, I want to speak to you, blah, blah, blah. And we didn't have a relationship and he went to the press to try to speak to me. That would, that would not be the way. That would not be the way, <laughs> you know. But imagine that, you know, this is somebody – because, again, like it's not as if Megan and her father had been estranged her whole life. They were incredibly close until two days before her wedding and then she just cut him off. And so then he spends the next – at this point, it's a a year, I think it's about a year. Um, so then he spends the next year basically just being like, please talk to me. Like, like, it's not as if this has been going on for decades. It's not as if, you know, they've been estranged her whole adult life to him. He feels like he made a mistake and he has been punished enough. And like, he feels, he said in different interviews, like, he's like, I am not healthy. I, I don't want to die without meeting my grandchildren. Like he said that. And I don't know. I just feel a lot of sympathy for him. (laughs) Oh, I have all the empathy. I have empathy for him and sympathy, all the fees. But I'm telling you, like, you don't go to the press about it. Like, you know, you have to know when someone is ghosting you, which we know that she is a ghoster. If someone Mm -hmm. is ghosting you, going to the press to get unghosted, not going to work. It's not going to work. And it makes you, it makes you seem combative. And that's mm-hmm. not a way to repair a relationship either. Like, it just yeah. isn't. Like, I get it. I feel sorry for him too. Like, my mom would die if she didn't have access to my children at all times. Yeah. Like, I mean, I get it. I totally get it. And my my dad uh, now who's in hospice, like, he loves to see my kids. He would just be, you know, so sad if he didn't see them five days a week. But mm-hmm. if something were wrong in our relationship – Going to the press is not the way to heal it, you know? Right. Well, so, and this is where, this is where the letter comes in. This is like actually what happens. So, uh, so Thomas has, you know, in his mind, he's doing like a desperate times call for desperate measures situation. He's like, I've called, I've texted, I'm not getting a response. I know they, I know they track the newspapers. So let me try it this way. So he starts, you know, speaking to the press. Megan at this time, writes him a letter. And it's a very, and this is very, very like, just like classic Megan. It is so carefully worded. It is so carefully written. She numbers every page. She makes sure that sentences end on the full page so that there's no way that somebody could, you know, take half a sentence and finish it in a different way because... There's no cutoffs here. She's worried about the letter being leaked. And she does everything she can to make it so that if this letter is leaked, it does not – it cannot be, like, manipulated in any way against her. So she sends her father this letter and her father sits on it. Yeah. So can I just say something? Uh, My mom always said to me, and I I believe this 100%, she said, never put in writing what you don't want the whole world to see. Mm-hmm. Like she yeah. told me that when I was like in fifth grade and that has yeah. stuck. So why uh, did she write a letter? 
Like that doesn't even make sense to me. If someone who's so worried about their image and carefully crafting their brand would put something in a letter that they know has potential to be leaked, at least 60% potential. You know what I mean? Just even the letter itself being delivered could be, you know, leaked or hijacked or whatever. Yeah. That was something that people were kind of always like, why not just pick up the phone and call your father? And maybe, you know, sometimes you have, when you're fighting with somebody, you know, you can't express what you're trying to say in a conversation. You you want to be able to get it out without them questioning you or interrupting you or, you know, you think maybe you'll get too emotional if you have to say out loud what you're thinking. So maybe she thought for her part, if I write this down, I can say my whole piece without, you know, like you get to really think through what you're going to say. You get to be careful with your word choice. So maybe that was part of it. I, I certainly think she was smarter have, than that. Mm-mm. Well, we later find out. Well, let me. I'll, I'll tell you. How, I'll tell you how we know she was definitely smarter than that. Um, <laughs> but so we. So she sends this letter to her father, and her father sits on it for a while, like a few months, maybe a year. And then there's this article. Then her father speaks to the press, and then a couple days later, an article comes out in People magazine, and it's five of her friends who are never identified by name. It's they're identified as like the actress, the longtime friend, the best friend, and a couple I other remember that. things. I yeah. Remember that. So they never say who they specifically are. People are just guessing, trying to figure out who these people are. But they talk about the letter in detail. And they say, you know, Megan wrote her father this wonderful letter and this is how he repays her. And they kind of go into detail about what is in the letter, but they use the letter to make Megan look amazing and make Thomas look like crap, right? They're using it as evidence to say she's a wonderful daughter and he sucks. And Thomas has the letter. He knows what the letter says. And I believe one of the things that somebody, one of the five friends had said was like, you know, she apologizes to him in the letter and then he, like, this is how he repays her essentially. Um And so Thomas has the letter. And so he goes and gives the letter to the Daily Mail and he says, they're using this letter to villainize me. That's not what happened. You can have the letter. Like you can see what she wrote. Um, And so he gives the letter to the Daily Mail. Megan turns around and sues the Daily Mail because – she cl- she has copyright on the letter. When somebody, the writer of something owns the copyright, even if they have given it to somebody else. So even though she wrote this letter for her father, it was delivered to her father. He is the one who owns it. He owns the value of the letter. If he were she owns to the like- intellectual property. Exactly. So he yeah. could sell the letter at auction and, you know, he would own the monetary value of it, but she owns the copyright. And so because the Daily Mail reprinted the letter without her permission because she owns the copyright, she goes after the Daily Mail. So she's involved in this lawsuit against the press when Harry then attacks the press. Mind you, she has given five of her friends authorization to speak to the press in a wide-ranging interview about her and her relationship with her father. So Harry and Meghan start doing this weird dance with the media, and they have been from the beginning. You know, the very first confirmation of them officially dating was Harry releasing a statement to the press saying, hey, leave my girlfriend alone. The press is like terrorizing her back off. So 
Harry and Meghan are playing this weird game where, on the one hand, she's fine with the press being used to her advantage. She's fine with her friends speaking to the press positively about her. As long as, you know, people say like, oh, well, she didn't necessarily authorize that. And it's like, you think five of her friends got together and agreed to speak with People Magazine and she didn't tell them it was okay? There's no way. There is no She she orchestrated the whole thing. Exactly. Like yeah, there is absolutely that's naive. if she that's that's incredibly naive to assume that she didn't know anything about it. That's part of her brand. Like that's a hundred percent on brand for her that she would have other people speak on her behalf who were anonymous. Um, right. But you know, I guess you could cherry pick and figure out who it was or whatever. But it, it sounds like she's okay with the press if it's good press. She's not mm-hmm. okay with the press if it's bad press. Well, but, you know, you don't get to choose. Like, you don't get to choose what stories are printed about you. If you're famous, if you're a celebrity, if you're a royal, if you're in the public eye, people are going to talk about you and you don't get to, you don't get an opinion on that. Exactly. You know? And one of the things about Megan and Harry is it's not even that they don't like bad press, but they're okay with positive press. They don't like press that they don't control the narrative. Because there are some positive pieces that they've kind of taken issue with because it didn't like put the right spin on whatever it was that was happening. Um, and we can get into that later. But they, they just start playing or they continue playing or they up the ante on <laughs> this game that they're playing with the press. Where now they are like, we are within the same, you know, two week span or whatever. We're very okay with positive press. We're very okay with press that we control. We're going to pretend we're not involved in it, even though we very clearly are. And we're also going to sue the press for talking negatively about us. And it's like, what is going on here? Like, this does not make sense. It feels so fragmented. I feel like for me, for their brand, for the Harry and Meghan brand, which for a year looked great, I feel like that it's starting to fragment. It's fracturing. And it's fracturing in so many places that it's like they're trying to put fingers in a dam, you know, like they just can't, mm-hmm. they can't stop the the great wash of water that is about to <laughs> roll right over them. Um, it just seems very fragmented to me. And I'm actually like, I'll tell you at this point in the story, everything that we've done at this point is where I really feel, and I know you're going to disagree, the sorriest for them. I really truly do because I think that they started something that they could not finish. I I do have a certain amount of sympathy for the two of them for exactly that reason. I, I feel like on one level, like they did have incredibly good intentions and they had a vision for how things want, they wanted things to be. And because they could not do those things or do it their way, that's when everything fell apart. Because I think that they did have good intentions. And we'll we'll talk about it later, like how they could have done this in a way that worked or didn't turn into what it has turned into. But I think it would have involved them making too many concessions on their end that they simply were not willing to make. Um, but like you said, at this point, things are beyond fractured. Like – the 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 wall has broken the water's coming mm. in mm-hmm. um and after harry snaps at rhiannon during the tour the next thing that happens is and i'm not sure specifically like on the date but rebecca 
English, I believe, from the Daily Mail, who is a member of the Rota. She's a very popular royal reporter. She writes an article about her friendship with Harry. And she writes this article saying, listen, I have known him for years. I have been on many tours with him. When we go on tours, him and I have hung out. I think she actually says some story about like they sat on a hill in Africa or something. I don't know. And she had a, again, they're not buddies when they're back in London. They're not like going out for drinks or whatever. But when they're on a business trip, they have a very congenial business relationship. Also, to be very clear, she never at any point makes it seem as if anything untoward has happened. They've never had any sort of romantic relationship. They've never uh, even had anything more than like a very platonic business relationship. But the point of her article is she is saying like, I know him. I've talked to him about, you know, when he's having a stressful day on tour, he's talked to her and she writes this article and she's like, he's different. Like, this is not the person that I know that I have become friendly with and that I actually know on a deeper level than what we're always necessarily reporting about. This is a different Harry. And she says something like, you know, people are worried about him. His friends are worried about him. And I will do my best to find that article so we can link it in the show notes so you can read it yourself because it's a very interesting read where Rebecca is able to go on record saying this because she's a reporter. We hear all the time, like ever since Harry and Meghan started dating, we've heard that like he cut off all of his friends. He doesn't speak with any of his school friends anymore. The guys that we had seen him like, you know, when he went to Vegas, we saw him out gallivanting around London as a teenager and in his early 20s, the people that were, he was the best men in their wedding, like all of this stuff. We don't hear from them any, we never heard from them ever. Like the the royal family has this very big cone of silence around them. Their friends are very loyal. Um, so we never heard from them personally, but we start hearing like his friends are really worried. His friends are upset. His friends haven't spoken to him in months because for some reason they are, they've been cut out, which when you start looking at what Megan does in her life, and now you see, okay, it's happening in Harry's life too. The two of them are becoming very isolated. She has no, she no longer has any relationship with her family. Harry no longer has a good relationship with his family, and he has no relationship with any of his friends. And the two of them are starting to just form this bubble and become. It's very us against the world. It, it's it. They become very combative. They become very, um, I don't know. It's just very. It's very interesting to see because as things start getting crazier and crazier around them, they really close ranks within the two of them, and it becomes a situation that around this time again, we're in October 2019. It becomes very apparent that this is odd. This is weird. And a couple of weeks later, a statement is released, not, not really a statement, just, you know, a, a blip, a briefing that says the Duke and Duchess are going to be headed back to North America to celebrate Thanksgiving. And people are like, okay, good. Like they need, they need a break. And then it says they're also going to be celebrating Christmas in North America with Megan's family. And it's like with Megan's mother specifically. And it's like, okay, yeah, they need to take this extended holiday break. Megan may have come back from work too soon, you know, after the surviving not thriving comment um you know this this will be good for them to have a few week 
break here. We, they seemed to really need it. The tour was too soon. And then and then it goes bonkers. Like the shit hits the fan. <laughs> uh, so I want to say a little bit about something uh, when people start to get rid of their friends and they begin to hole mm-hmm. up together. Um, I will tell you that that is a sure sign that you are not in a healthy place in your life when you start cutting out people that have been loyal to you your whole life or who love you or who support you, especially your Mm -hmm. family and your close friends. Um, I've seen it happen. I've been in situations where it's happened. And what the, the big red flag is, Hey, if you're, if you're holding down with someone or you're, you're getting into a hole, a foxhole with someone and you're not relying on support outside of that foxhole, for sure you are going to start taking fire like hundred mm-hmm. percent. It's, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that, but it is not healthy. I mean, I, I'm not in, I'm not in their lives. Like I get it. This is just my personal opinion, but I do know that the signs are there that when you start distancing yourself from friends and family and you begin to become just the two become one, it's unhealthy. It's, it's not good mm-hmm. for anybody. So I think you're right. I think when two people just start to, you know, only rely on each other, they're no longer interested in an outside opinion. They don't care what anybody has to say, even if somebody is concerned for them. I think that's a really, that's a, that's a sign that things are becoming a little bit unhealthy. Like that's codependence to the nth degree, right? And being dependent on someone that you're in a relationship is, you know, that's good. You should you should trust your partner. You should rely on your partner. Being so codependent that it's us against the world and everybody else is the bad guy and everybody is out to get us, that they've they've built themselves a little hate bubble that they just can't seem to see outside of. And they cannot see when people are concerned for them. And they also can't, as we discussed way back in one of the earlier, I think the first episode when we were talking about Prince Harry's brand independent of before he met Meghan. Um, Harry can't see the difference between his family and his job. And that becomes a very big problem at this point because him and Meghan, as they are trying to build Sussex Royal and as they are trying to build um, you know, their brand as a as the Duke and Duchess of Sussex working within the royal family, they can't seem to understand why they have to fall under these other parameters and why there are rules that they have to follow. And, you know, Harry will go to his grandmother and be like, hey, I have this idea. I want to do this thing. And his grandmother says, no, I'm sorry, sweetheart, you can't do that. And Harry's like, what? My grandmother never says no to me. And the problem and she's is like, that, I'm not your grandmother. I'm the CEO. Exactly. The problem is that his grandmother is not like sweet old granny and he's asking for a treat. His grandmother is the queen. And so she is answering these questions or even his father is, you know, turning down these requests as a representative of the crown, as a rep, as the monarch, right? And Harry's just like, why is my dad saying no? Why is my grandmother saying no? And why are they giving my big brother everything he wants and I'm getting nothing? And he can't like distinguish between the fact that this is not your father and your grandmother and your big brother. This is the Prince of Wales and the queen and the second in line to the throne. And he has a very hard time 
just like just making that separation of there's a family matter versus there's a business matter. And Megan, for her part, and again, she is American, right? Like this is this is completely unnatural to her. Um, and so Megan can't get behind it at all. Whereas maybe Harry, you would expect him to be able to get behind it a little bit. You you'd expect that he has some level of familiarity with all of these processes. Megan is like, I don't understand. If we want to do something, why don't we just go do it? And Harry's like, I'll go ask. And then he's told no. And then he has to go back to Megan and say, they said we can't. And she's sitting there going, but why? Why can't we? Why don't we just do it anyway? Who's going to stop us? And they probably start, and again, this is pure speculation, right? But I imagine that they probably start getting to these conversations of, well, you're right. Who's going to stop us if we just go ahead and do it? What are they going to do about it if we do it anyway? How how could they possibly punish us? Like, they're not going to throw us in jail. Like, it's not like we're doing something bad. We're not doing something illegal. So what's the big deal if we just try to do our own thing and see what happens? Um, and so... Megan and Harry go to North America for an extended holiday, um, like literally like holiday season holiday. And royal watchers are like, okay, they need this break. This is this will be good. This will help calm the waters. They're going to come back in the new year feeling refreshed. Like bummer that they're not going to be at Sandringham on Christmas, but this will be a good thing for them. And that's not what happens when they are in Canada. <laughs> um, so I think that wraps it up for this episode. In the next episode, we're going to get into Megxit and the beginning of COVID, which I think not that those things are related, but they are kind of related based on what happens when they Megxit. Um, right? Yeah, for sure. I think that, you know, during their plans for what happened when they broke away from the royal family – were immediately shattered by <laughs> lockdowns and it it kind of definitely took the wind out of their sails a little bit so we will chat more about that next time